Hey, I'm Taylor Dorson, and this is the Professional Technical Interviewee. Technical interviews are hard, and every company does them differently. On this show, I interview engineering leaders to see what they look for in technical candidates, and then they perform a real technical interview with me. My guest today is Mike Wales. He's currently the CTO of Moonrise. Before that, he worked at Udacity in several directorial roles. Previously, he worked at the Air Force and the ESA for many years. I hope you enjoy. Mike, how are you? Thanks for being on the show. Yeah, no worries. Thanks. Great. Uh, well, I guess today is Mike Wales, uh, currently the CTO of Moonrise, previously a director at Udacity, um, and before that served um, with the Air Force, the NSA, and did a whole bunch of government contracting for, for many years. Did I miss anything? Nope. Sounds about right. Cool. Well, can you share a little bit about Moonrise and kind of um, what you do and, and what the company does as a whole? Sure. Um, so Moonrise, we're a wholly owned subsidiary of American Family Insurance. Um, we kind of spun out of them. Uh, what they recognized was they had um, some policyholders that just had trouble making payments. And so their, their tactic on how to solve this was how can we put more money in those people's pockets? Um, and it was a, a mission-based approach. So uh, we built a, a temporary staffing platform. Uh, it was very successful for the year or two before the pandemic hit. And then as you can imagine, uh, you know, a lot of companies no longer needed temporary staff help because everything was shut down. Uh, in the moment, we were like, okay, what, what can we, what can we do to continue giving people this opportunity to, you know, make money um, in a really easy way? So we had our engineering team. They, they just like ran off into corners for about six weeks and came up with four or five different products. Uh, and one of them has really stood out really well that we call our remote call product. And so, um, you know, we have workers that they now sit at home using this product. It's not telemarketing. It's uh, more like uh, current customer engagement. So, you know, hey, happy birthday or hey, your insurance agent has changed, um, you know, that sort of stuff. Here's some information we need to give you. Um, and that's been going really well. It's, it's got us through this really you know, difficult time. And we're starting to, you know, learn our lessons and kind of put that on guardrails of like, all right, how else could we deploy this, this technology to other industries and, and really, you know, give the big, the biggest thing for us is give people work opportunities that they can, you know, just put, get money back into their pockets and make their lives better. Yeah. I love that idea. And then what a unique way to come about that, right. Of, of basically companies like these people can't afford the insurance that they need. Right. Can we help them afford that? Right. That's really interesting. Right. Instead of like canceling their policy and like, good yeah. luck. <laughs> <laughs> right. Right. And then, can you share a little bit about the, the tech stack and, and what the company is based on now? Yeah. So, um, oh, we had, so historically we were, uh, like PHP old school, like we had to support internet Explorer nine for some of our, our clients. So jQuery, um, and just like vanilla JavaScript, um, that, that piece is what we call like the platform. And um, you can imagine like if, if Stripe is there to like move money from point A to point B, Moonrise, the platform is there to move people from point A to point B and make sure that the client pays and those people get paid. Um, so that's the platform piece. And then all of, our, all of our independent products, remote call being the most popular, sit on top of that platform. Um, and that is primarily uh, like node backends, uh, like tons of lambdas, um, react for the front end, um, because we don't have that, you know, 
support ancient dead browser requirements anymore. Yeah, that's great. I just um, changed jobs from my previous job. We had a Internet Explorer 10 um, system that was used in a lot of hospitals that was built on PHP. And, you know, every JavaScript function was fun to see. Is this going to work? <laughs> Is this going to yeah. break everything? Right. <laughs> yeah, great. Well, can you share a little bit about your pathway in the technology? Because if I remember correctly, it's not the traditional, um, you know, computer science graduate uh, um, pathway, right? No, I, um, so I come from a, a little, like, I don't know, redneck town in Florida. Um, but it only exists because there's a prison there. Um, and so for <laughs> me, like, being on the internet, um, that was like my escape from this town. Um, and I kind of learned, like, you know, this was back in the, before Google. So, like, Yahoo was the search engine. And I'm, like, like looking up video game information and all this kind of stuff. And I was, like, well, if people, like, if someone else is making these websites, I should be able to, too. Um, so kind of started teaching myself HTML through, like, right-click view source. Um, figured, figured that out. And then there was one day um, I kind of had this epiphany that like, oh, when I'm searching for something on Yahoo, there's not some employee at Yahoo that's like, oh no, Mike searched for Quake cheat codes. I got a better <laughs> building a, a results page. I was like, there's, there's something happening here. So asked around to a few friends that were already programmers, um, came across, yeah, PHP. They were like, this is a really easy language to use, really easy to like upload the file and it just works. Um, I still remember the book to this day. I saved up my, I was like 12 at the time, saved up my allowance for nine weeks. And my dad, I gave it to my dad to go buy it. It's this blue book called PHP Made Easy and it has a red ribbon on it. Um, and yeah, taught myself PHP, uh, started freelancing around like 15 years old. My dad was having to sign the contracts because uh, I legally couldn't. <laughs> and then, um, and then, yeah, I mean, I, I was always, I was going to go to college for computer science. I had a full ride to Florida state. Uh, but once I got there, I was a little cocky and egotistical and thought like, you know, I'm just here for the, the, the piece of paper. I, I already know this stuff. And after maybe like a semester, I was like, this isn't for me. I got to do something yeah. different. So went and joined the air force and, uh, that that worked out. It was a computer nerd in the Air Force for a while, and then there there comes a time where you're. I did it for six years. When you're getting out, all of the government contractors are like, "Hey, you know how to program, and you have a top secret clearance. Why don't you come work for us for three times as much money, and you never have to go to Iraq again?" And I'm like, "That sounds like a deal. Let's do that." <laughs> so yeah, did that, and eventually made my way from you know huge government contractors to what I found is like every time I get to a smaller and smaller company. I enjoy my job and my role better. You have more like a larger impact. So yeah, went from like general dynamics, which is massive to Udacity, which was really small and then got bigger while I was there. And then smaller and smaller as it went until I was like employee number one. So <laughs> yeah, I love it. I mean, that that's a, that's quite the ride, right? Starting from freelancing at a very young age and then all the way, I'm sure working some of those government contracts and government agencies are just insane, right? How large and, and kind of sprawling those teams can be. Oh yeah. I mean, you're talking hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people like in multiple countries and like yeah. all around, like, um, yeah. One, one of my roles was in charge of a very large audio database. Um, and that had a lot of different collection spots around the world. Um, and huge, yeah, huge teams, huge responsibilities and like, millions slash billions dollars of budget right yeah yeah 
Well, that's really interesting. And you said your, your first roles was basically contracting and, and kind of freelance stuff Is it at a young age. Was that just getting websites up for, for businesses or what did that look like? Um, the freelance stuff was, um, at, at the time, there was a platform called Rent-A-Coder. Um, and I don't even know if it exists anymore, but basically it was like reverse auction. Um, yeah. So someone would post a job, you all, everyone bids on it and you know, lowest bidder or whatever probably, probably gets the job. I did that for a little while until there was a PHP framework called CodeIgniter. And I got um, really, really, I don't know, popular within that community. I would answer a lot of questions and support and like forums and whatnot. And there, there came a point where people didn't just, you know, hey, I know I'm building this thing in CodeIgniter and your name's everywhere. Like, do you freelance? And so it got to a point where, yeah, I was just, people were coming to me and I was like, at one point, like, nope, I'm too busy. I'm booked for the next six months. <laughs> yeah. That's great. And I, I, I asked because it's kind of interesting. Um, some people think, you know, it's really hard getting that first job, but especially at a young age, right. It's kind of an interesting pathway into it. And I think that sure. still exists. I don't know if that website specifically, but there's many, I think Fiverr is one, right. There's a couple or a handful of websites where basically you can bid on different things. And I think a lot of people think that's a, a race to the bottom, right. Which it may be, you know, you may not be making the big bucks right. off of those initial contracts, but for people who are early in their career, and this is something that I did a little bit, bit of early on, I was like, I don't really care what you pay me, right? Like I'm here more for the experience. And then I have something on a resume that I can show people, right? right. Versus, yeah, I know how to code and like, they're like well, show me something. <laughs> right. right, yeah. Uh, the, yeah, the, those freelance platforms are probably your best for like that, that learning moment. That's the value you're getting out of it. And then if someone really wants to like move into freelancing, my advice is like, find your niche. Like, you know, I was the code igniter expert or maybe your niche is like, I build restaurant websites for San Antonio restaurants, right? Like whatever it is that you can like really market yourself and like become like, I, I call it like the unqualified expert. Like I'm the expert, even though I've never done it. Like, but the perception it's marketing is what it is. Same thing with getting your job. Like my business is Mike Wales. That's what I've got yeah. marketing. And I've got to prove to companies that like Mike Wales is the right hire. That's the best vendor you should bring in and hire to do, you know, whatever. Yeah. Interesting. Well, how, how did you move into to this most recent role? Um, I guess what was your your pathway here? Because I know, again, you said Udacity was pretty small when you joined and obviously grew quite a bit while you were there. And then Moonrise, when you joined, was probably fairly small as well, right? Yeah, it was just the, the, the founding team. Um, and so I'm technically not a co-founder, um, but I am the first employee of the company even before the, the, the co-founders. And that's an interesting Fun fact, I, uh, there is a fun story and I'll explain how that happens. Um, but yeah, at Udacity, there came a point, um, I just kind of like looked around and I was like, ah, I think I've done what I needed to do here. Um, you know, I think I was employee number 32-ish. Um, we didn't have the nano degree at the time. I was brought on to help invent that. Um, when I left, we were in 12 different countries. I had 75 people reporting to me in all of those countries and cranking out, you know, everything from front-end engineer nano degree to self-driving car nano degree. Um, so I felt pretty fulfilled in like what I had accomplished and it was time for my, my next thing. Um, one of my friends from my gig at the NSA, he actually called me. I was like, hey man, I'm doing this cool thing with American Family. Um, I've been trying to interview, like I need a VP of engineering to come in. He's like, I, he, he recognized he's not the like build an engineering team and like people person kind of engineer. 
he's the like prototype, get it out the door, prove the business model, and then like move on to the next thing. And he's like, I need someone to build an, en an engineering team. I've been looking for a Mike Wales and I can't find him. So I know you're enjoying your life out there in California. I want you to move your family to Chicago for less money, crap your benefits, and go ahead and tell me no. And I was like, it sounds fun, man. Let's do it. So, <laughs> so did that. Um, and uh, so, yeah, I started at Moonrise. Um, you know, like I said before, uh, the co-founder, and he was the CTO at the time. Um, they still technically worked for AmFam. Uh, Moonrise wasn't even a legal entity. So I kind of like had no job legally for four months <laughs> while we were working on this thing. Um, and then like day one, as soon as like Moonrise Inc. was incorporated, they're like, all right, we got to hire Mike and we'll transfer, we'll transfer Eric and Kara into the company later, but get Mike like legal. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I am employee number one and the, the CEO and the CTO came down, uh, you know, a few weeks later after me. Yeah, that's good. And then, yeah. And then eventually, I mean, how I became CTO now is just Eric, you know, we wanted to explore other roles. He wanted to move into different things. Um, we had grown to a level that we wanted to give and it was appropriate that other engineers on the team had grown to like, you know, you're not just an individual contributor anymore. You're a manager. And like, we need to give people these pathways up. My, my style of management is I'm always trying to make myself like redundant and replaceable. Mm. So, and, and Eric is very similar and he's like, Oh, Mike's next, next growth plan is like, like, all right, you're no longer internally facing VP of engineer. You've got to be like the external you know, the, then have like that, that strategic vision for the company and like be, you know, that, that level where you're, you're worried about the business as well from a technical perspective, not just the people. Yeah. That's really interesting. And that, that's sometimes one of the downsides of a smaller company, right? If there's, if there's only one CTO role, right. And you're the VP of engineering, you know, like there's not really another spot for me unless that person leaves, right? Yeah, like, yeah, Eric has to either die or go like go do something else, you know? <laughs> so, right. But thankfully, right. There were, we had opportunities internally where he could go take on a, another executive level role and, and work on different kinds of problems that really interested him. And it was just pretty clear that, okay, I would, I would move up and, and take on this new mantle. Nice. Have you done any technical interviews internally lately for, for your team? Um... It's been a long time, but I actually did um, recently, my, my head of engineering got a new opportunity that was really exciting for him. Um, and we were still in the middle of, of interviews. So I took on back that kind of like head of engineering responsibility. And so, um, yeah, joined up. I've done a few recently and the, the technical exercise, uh, you know, you and I will talk about is a different one than, than, um, than, I had back when I was building the engineering team, but I think it's a really good one and I've seen it executed a few times and there's, there's really good opportunities for edge cases and, um, you know, uh, performance improvements and, and that kind of stuff. So. Yeah. Well, what are you typically evaluating for when you're, you're looking to bring in a new member of the team? The number one thing I'm looking for is, um, I would say a bias towards action and like a curiosity uh, around like learning um engineering this is not a role like that like oh i'm a plumber i go to school like now i know how to be a plumber and i know like everything about plumbing i, I don't know anything about plumbing so that might be a horrible analogy but like it's you know like if, if you go like oh i'm an accountant i know everything about this year's tax laws so like i'm done um 
every day, like you have to learn something new and you're never going to know how to be an engineer. It's just, it's con like, you know how to Google, you know how to process information really well and you can translate that into code. And then tomorrow, like some new problem's going to come up and you've got to do it all over again. That sounds miserable to some people. To me, that's awesome. I get to like change my role and learn something new every single day and tackle new problems every single day. That's great. So that's really what I'm looking for is that, that curiosity and like lifelong learning mindset. Once we've established that, then we can start going into like, okay, how do you tackle problems? Um, you know, do, 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 does ambiguity like stress you out or do you thrive within those environments? Um, and these are things that I look for as a, a like startup engineering leader, right? Um, I, I believe if you go into like, you know, a general dynamics or something much more enterprisey, you're probably going to have like a different set of requirements that you're looking for. Like ambiguity might not be the big thing anymore. Uh, but for me, that's kind of the path. Yeah. Well, what do you mean by a bias to action? Um, ask for forgiveness rather than permission. Like just go do it. Um, I, am a big, a big proponent of, uh, um, I mean, this morning we brought down our entire platform on our deploy, whole thing dead. Um, what we do in those instances is a, we fix it, we revert into yesterday. Okay. And then we figured out what the problem was and get it back up and running. Um, and then we, we, a, we learn from that experience and we also, we celebrate it. So when we were in the office, everyone, we had a bottle of like really expensive scotch or whiskey, I think it was whiskey. And everyone was like, oh, we took down the platform. Everyone take a shot. Um, so yeah, it's that, that's what I'm looking for is I, I don't want, I don't hire engineers. I hire product owners who can code and everyone should have an opinion about what they're building and they should be, your opinion might not be right, but you should be able to articulate that opinion and have a conversation about it with everyone else. And we come to a consensus and then we go down that road. Yeah. I like that a lot. That makes a lot of sense. And I think that that's a great way to put into words what I think a lot of people are actually looking for, but maybe don't necessarily know how to say that um, or, or really screen for that in the interview. Well, <laughs> I think sometimes yeah. that's a difficult thing to, to parse in a couple conversations, right? Sure. And yeah, it's hard. You have a very limited amount of time to like really learn about someone. And if you make the wrong decision, it's an expensive mistake for both yeah. of you. Like this is, I view hiring as like my most important job. This is a life-changing opportunity. And it's not the fact that I think Moonrise is this great, amazing employer. It's that like, you're looking for a job and I'm going to give you one. Therefore, like I'm, and I'm paying you pretty well. Uh, this is like life altering for you. You write it on a piece of paper that you, you travel around to every other you know job in your life. And that is like an artifact that you carry with you. This is an important decision for both of us. That's why I treat interviewing as like, it's a conversation. And you might say, no, Moonrise isn't the right thing for me. And that's, that's fine. Like, that's the whole point of interviewing is I'm trying to learn as much about you. You're trying to learn about much as me. And if we both say yes, which we infrequently do, that's an awesome experience. Yeah, absolutely. Do, do you have a standardized system um, to, to do technical interviews or standardized interviewing system? Or is it change kind of depending on the role and uh, the person? Um. For, for us, it's standardized uh, for at least all engineers, right? Um, like product managers would be, would be different that also fall within my purview. Um, for engineers, I always start with like a quick, it's just a phone call or a, or a meet. I don't care either way, but um, this is just conversational. I'm like, hey, here's what we're both getting into. Tell me a little bit about you, a little bit, about, you know, back and forth. 
here's what the role is. Are you still interested? If I get a warm and fuzzy from that conversation, we'll go to the, the technical screen uh, next. Um, that is always with uh, two engineers um, because, I mean, we, do, we don't do a lot. Like, not everything's pair programmed, but we do a fair amount of like, pair programming in our, in our day-to-day. So um, want them to get the experience and the perspective of, you know, two different engineers on the team. Um, I try to bury it. At Moonrise, we don't have like front-end engineers or back-end engineers. We have, they're, you're all full stack and like you might be personally like interested in the front-end and you might be the better UI UX person and we're probably putting you on UI UX tickets, but um, but if you need to go write an a SQL query, like you're gonna have to go do that too. So try and vary the perspectives, the specialties of those people. Um, then in feedback, so after all of these things, these are dates, right? That, you know, you bring in a hundred people into the first conversation, yeah. 50, you might get to the tech screen. Um, and yeah, probably not that much. Um, and then, um, and then, so at each of these gates, um, I call it the lever system because the, the lever applicant tracking system platform taught me this. Um, but you have to pick one through four. So there is no middle of the road. You have to say like, absolutely do not hire this person or absolutely hire this person. Mm -hmm. There's no meh. If it's meh, it's a two don't hire, move on to the next one. Um, so then, yeah, we do the tech screen because I want to make sure the technicals are there before we even get into like personalities, uh, at Udacity, you'd be surprised how many like interviews I would do. And like, they couldn't even open a text editor or like even get started on the problem. Uh, and then from there, then we go into uh, what I'll call, um, like, you've probably heard it called culture fit, but I hate culture fit. So I call it like value add. What is this person bringing to the company? Um, and those are, it's a cross-functional crew. I mean, they talk to, there's, you know, some engineers, product managers. They even talk to like the office administrator, um, you know, some people on the operational side, uh, because we are a pretty small company. And when we make a hire, like the impact you have is on everyone else in the company. Mm. Uh, and then from there it's just an offer nice great uh, I, and and i can i can cut this out if if uh you know you don't, you don't want to talk about it but i'm curious it seems like there's a very openness um just from interacting with you in the past and kind of how you're kind of describing even you know taking down the whole system and then celebrating that it seems like there's an openness and um, kind of a warmness to um trying new things learning but also I've heard you talk in the past about people, you know, looking externally and that being a conversation that you're open to having, right? Rather than, um, I think a lot of companies where it's, oh, if someone hears that, you know, someone's interviewing, then maybe they don't get fired that day, but it's definitely not a, a friendly thing, right? Can you speak to that at all? Or is this something you're, you're willing to talk about? Yeah, I'm absolutely fine to talk about it. Um, I have no, um, oh man, what's the right word? Like I have no previous predispositions that like moonrise is going to be your final job um you are you are here for a short period of time three to four years on average if we look at the industry um and when you choose to leave moonrise um i want you to look back on this time and like that was an amazing experience i learned so much the people are great um and uh you know there are with moonrise specifically like like i said earlier like Eric told me like, you're not going to make as much. The benefits aren't as good. Um, like those are things that I know just given kind of, you know, how we're structured and, and how we are, our, our person, like our culture, our company culture. 
those are things we can't compete on. You know, we're never going to pay as much as Netflix. Not going to happen. Um, and to be honest, we're pretty honest with ourselves that we're, you know, we're never going to get uh, an engineer that would have come from Netflix. Like, you know, that's just not, not going to happen. So, um, yeah, just, just being aware of that. And like, we want this to be a great experience in your career. Even when we hired junior engineers, we hired straight out of boot camps. Um, and we do it with the intention of like, okay, this person's going to be here for a year. And there are three outcomes, either they are here for a year and they move up from level one to level two and they decide to stay with us. Um, that's a great outcome. Love it. The second great outcome that we would love is you're here for a year. You got, you know, a ton of work, first working experience, and you went and got a higher paying job at another company. And we were like, your stepping stone to that. Great. Love that outcome. And then the third outcome is like, you got here, it didn't work out. You're not learning and, uh, and like leveling up and we've got to let you go. That's unfortunate, but that's how it is. So for yeah. me, it's all about, it's that, it's that transparency. Like we're a very open and transparent company and just an understanding of like, we're just a speed bump along your life and we hope it's a, a great experience. Yeah. That's in interesting. Mentally shifting from like, we're trying to make this a great experience for people who are working here and they think they can look back on um, and, and, have positive memories, right? And, and probably wanting to work with those same individuals again in the future, right? That, that's probably a, a good outcome um, versus like we have to hoard our talent um, and make sure that they're worried about leaving because if they leave, then we have to figure out how to replace them. That costs time and energy and money, right? That's that's inevitable. That's going to happen, right? It's so going to happen, right? <laughs> yeah, that makes a lot yeah, of sense. And when people when people leave, so a it's yeah, it's that building that community. Um, and when people leave, I want them to like, like I said, I lost my head of engineering this year, like really bad loss, like didn't want to lose him. But when he told me I'm leaving, my first thing is like, congratulations, where are you going? Like what, what, what company? Tell me all about it. And I want to see the spark in their eye of like, yeah, like this is really cool. Um, and here's why I'm excited about it. Uh, and what I've found, we have really low attrition rates, like really, really low. And I've never had... Um, most of our attrition is what I'll call what it's called regrettable attrition. You hope that they don't leave, but no one has ever left our company because they were running away from our company. They were always running towards something new and exciting for them. So I'm hesitant to change something that appears to be working. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Great. Well, that, that, that's really interesting. Um, do you, uh, getting back to technical interviews, I know maybe your, your kind of pathway into it sounds kind of interesting and I'm curious, you know, have you done a lot of technical interviews in the past? And, and if so, how do you feel you, you did in those technical interviews, you performed in those technical interviews? Um, I, ha I have done, most of my experience has not been like your traditional like whiteboarding technical interview. Um, and I think that might lend itself to why I hate it, not just from a personal experience, but also there are a huge like diversity and inclusivity, like, uh, you know, amp, you know, ramifications here of why it's like, it's horrible to do whiteboarding interviews. Um, and they're also just not reflective of the way we like as, as engineers work. Um, yeah. so I have had, I have done your, your, your standard, uh, you know, whiteboarding interview. Um, it was at one of like the big fangs. I'm not going to say which, but I left crying and I had 15 years experience and I knew I like completely blew it and it was not an enjoyable experience and I would not go interview with that company again. 
mm-hmm. um, despite the fact that I'd probably like make three times as much as I do. Um, so that's what I personally try to avoid is I don't want anyone leaving our interviews crying. I want it to be a, a great experience. Even if I tell you, listen, we're not, it's not happening right now. I want them to be like, okay, completely understand. But man, that was like, I hope I can interview again, or I've got a friend that, you know, does the things that you you're looking for that you say, like, I'm not a fit for, so can I refer them? Um, that's the experience I want to create. Yeah, that's great. Um, do, do you have any type of system or, or maybe a, a process you go through if you end up in an interview, like, like maybe that, you know, that whiteboarding interview just described um, where you go, Oh, I don't know how to necessarily approach this. Um, how do you, break that interview down into steps or what approach do you take? Yeah. Um, I admit, I don't know. And I mean, I would even, I admit to the, to the, to the interview. I don't know this particular instance I'm thinking of. Um, one of the interviews I was like, ah, I don't know how to do this. Can I, can I ask questions? And one of the the most unfortunate things was he was like, no, just do it. And obviously I didn't end up with great results. Um, so I would, yeah, I would, I would ask as many questions as I could. And then try to like, try to break the problem down into things I didn't know. Hmm. Um, unfortunately that can bite you on the butt. So, I mean, this particular interview question I'm, I'm thinking of was I had to write the computer side of tic-tac-toe. Um, <laughs> I, um, and I can't remember the name of the algorithm right now. After the interview, I went, I, I definitely was like, how do you do this? And I went and found it and I can't find the name. I, I don't remember the name of the algorithm, but essentially you, you look at the playboard and you give each space a, a score. And then the computer based on like, you know, the opportunity and then the, the computer plays the highest scoring space. Um, what I did the whole time was I was just sitting up there, my, my kids, where we had been playing a lot of tic-tac-toe like at restaurants or something. And I was like, if I get three corners, I win. You can't beat me if I get three corners. And that's all I focused on the entire 45 minutes. And there was even a moment where the, the guy is like, you should just like get something working and because this isn't working. And I was like, yeah, I know. And my, my, um, my result was my algorithm. All it did was fill the entire board with an X, whether it was its turn or not, or whether the space was filled or not. So it wasn't great. Um, so yeah, try, try to break down the problem into, into the smallest pieces that you, you can reason about and get something at least working. Um, and then you can start focusing on like the edge cases, the optimizations, um, all that, that sort of stuff. I think yeah. too, much, too many times newer people tend to focus on, like they know the technical interview is like, uh, what we're really looking for is like the edge cases and the, the optimizations. And they try to like go that way first. Um, but if we don't even get to that, that point where you have something working and we can start to explore the edge cases and optimizations, um, then you haven't even made it to the point that we can start to make a decision on whether to hire you or not. Yeah. I used to hear all the time um, feedback when I was I was in recruiting. Um, basically, two types when people got through technical or three types of feedback: either technical interview went really well, right, like we want to move forward with this person, or technical interview went okay. They had a brute force solution or some solution, right? So they got through it. We're gonna move them on to see, like, let's get some more feedback, right? Or um, you know, they seemed all right, but they didn't. Like we had a good conversation, but they didn't actually get something working, right? So that we don't know, right? And then they, they would they yeah. would reject it, right? So even if you get something out there, maybe it's not perfect, right? But at least it's I don't know. I think you have a much better chance than if you just talk for forty five minutes and you have nothing that actually runs, right? And someone goes, right. "Seems nice," but yeah, I couldn't actually tell, right? 
don't know. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Um, do you have any tips or other advice for, for uh, folks going into technical interviews? Um, I would say spend, spend more time than you think on just like thinking through the problem out loud. And uh, um, so A, when, what we're looking for in these interviews is not like the actual final code. Like no one's going to like, we're not going to commit whatever you write to our repo and like you just solved the problem for us and that's going to production. That's not what's happening here. What we're looking for is we're trying to like understand your thought process and what's going through your brain. So spend more time right up front of like, okay, here's what I think the inputs you're giving me are. Here's the outputs I think you want me to come out with. Um, on a whiteboard, like you could write this out in just like plain language. Like it doesn't have to be syntactically correct toward any sort of like programming language or whatnot. Um, in an editor, I would just like do it in comments of like, here's what's coming in, here's what coming, what's coming out. Um, and then the next step I like to do is I, I write out the steps in plain English. So like, okay, I'm going to do this, then I'm going to do this, then I'm going to do that. And um, verbally, but also in my head, I, I'm going to like talk through like, okay, once this data structure goes through this step and then this step and then this step, here's how it's going to come out the other side looking like, this and then get verbal agreement by everyone that's interviewing with me is like okay did what i just described is that true is that what you're looking for yes okay all right now let's start writing some code um, as i'm writing code um it's at that point that i start calling out like okay there there might be an edge case here like what if this value doesn't exist do you want me to address that right now and nine times out of ten depending on the time of the interview as long as you call it out, they're going to be like, okay, don't worry about it. They trust that like, okay, you would have addressed this thing or yeah. like, Hey, I know I'm looping through this array like three times right now. I could probably like, you know, change it, change it from this data structure to another data structure to then only loop through it once. Do you want me to do that? Um, and then with an optimization, they might, they might say, yeah, I want to see that one, you know? So, because that's in their head, that's probably like, some of the things they're looking out for is did the candidate even notice that this is done in a really bad way? Yeah. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah. I think those, um, the hand wave, um, uh, if checks, right. Those types of things, right. Like, sh should I check if this is, uh, can I assume, right. That this is always going to be populated with positive numbers or whatever, like those types of questions, yeah. I think, um, save you a lot of time of having to type out, you know, little optimizations or little um, edge cases, right? Right. So if I see you write one if statement, I know you can write an if statement. And hopefully by this point, like we've already addressed that. <laughs> so yeah. I have confidence that I think this person knows what they're doing. So I don't need you to write a chain of like four if statements just to, to get into the, the, the control structure. Let's just get there and keep going. Yeah. Great. Do you, do you have any different advice? Or is it the same advice for, for early career engineers? Um, to me, I, I think I was, I was, I was tailoring that advice to early engineering careers, but now you're making me think, am I from a technical, technical interview perspective? Probably not. They're like, they're pretty, except for the conversation part, the, like the, the actual, but the technical like exercise part, they're pretty, um, um, like objective and not subjective. And like, it, it is what it is. Um, I, I would say maybe for the technical interview, just like admitting when you don't know something, like that's really powerful. When you say like, I don't know, but here's how I would find out. Like that is a perfectly acceptable response to an interview question. 
Um, so admitting that, but uh, that would be advice for everyone as well. <laughs> but hopefully they let you ask questions, right? <laughs> yeah, I think, I think for yeah a junior person, particularly a very junior person, boot camp grad, you know, maybe only in a three year or two, um, I would it probably tailor itself to more of the conversational parts of the interview and really like express, come in with questions um, beyond like, what's the tech stack? Everyone that everyone knows that's a question, but like ask the questions of like, what does success look like in 30, 60, 90 days? Um, what are the things I could expect to learn here? What are the unique things that your company could, you know, could provide that, you know, opportunities that I could learn or experiences I could have that maybe other companies don't do. Um, that the, the experiential kind of, you know, I talked about like Moonrise just being kind of a, a bump in your career. Like, what do you want that bump to be? And asking questions around like, will this company be that thing that I'm looking for right now? It could be a really great opportunity to rise up from individual contributor to engineering manager. And like, that's what it is. Or it could be like, yeah, we're just going to be the jump off point for your career. And in one year, you're going to go get something great. And you, you have to figure out if that's the thing that you're looking for right now. Yeah. And I think those are the types of questions that, um, I don't know, you can look them up online, right? Like good questions to ask in an interview setting, right? And, and have four or five that are like, you can ask every company that. And I always try to have maybe one or two that is specific to the actual person, right? If I know who I'm interviewing with beforehand, right? And then those four or five, if I'm asking every company the same types of questions, you start to see, oh, like, here are the concerning answers versus here are the answers that, like, that's what I'm actually looking for, right? Sure. Especially yeah. as your career goes on, if you use those same types of questions, right? Yeah. And you mentioned one thing that made me think of something else, um, like specific questions toward the company, like show that you have done your research. You know that Moonrise, for example, is spun out of American family, or we are a mission-based organization that's trying to put money in people's pockets. You're interviewing with us is going to be different than interviewing with, I don't know, like, like a big like hotel corporation, right? Um, and then also, I always look up, like I always ask for, um, you're allowed to ask for, for concessions before um, an interview. So if you need, um, you know, certain things uh, met based on, you know, disability or past experience, like whatever, um, it's okay to ask for it, but it's legally, you're allowed to ask for it beforehand, particularly with disability. But um, even if you don't have that as like, uh, you know, disability as a, a thing that you can lean on, it's perfectly fine to ask for things up front that you think will make you successful going into the interview. So I always ask before the interview, can you give me a list, the first and last name of the people I'll be interviewing with and the focus of the interview? What are they looking for? And I always go and look them up on LinkedIn. And I always try and figure out, is there some sort of connection that I could like uh, this like personal connection I could have to this person? Oh, we both grew up in Florida. Great. I'm from Tallahassee. Where are you from? And then, you know, because there's always that like 30 seconds at the beginning of the interview before you really get going on their bucket of list of things that you can make an impression. Yeah, absolutely. Um, uh, Patrick Miller was just a, a guest last week um, said he brought up the statistic that, you know, a it's a shockingly high number of, of people basically decide in the first like minute, right. If they want to move forward with someone in an yeah. interview setting and those little things, like just having some connection point, like, Oh, you spend time in Chicago. Like, yeah. yeah. You know, like, that big yeah. uh, it goes a surprisingly long way right yeah uh, totally yeah. it's um 
I think everyone in their head, they've got this like, uh, I don't know, kind of um, like uh, this like tachometer, right? This like needle, right? And, and everyone should start in the middle. But if, if someone has already done like unconscious bias training and whatnot, then they'll know like, oh, like my needle's actually starting over here a little bit based on, you know, their, their unconscious biases. And during the interview process, they're mentally keeping track of that needle. And yeah. so if you can make that quick connection right at the beginning, I'm not saying it's, it's right that people decide within the first minute. I'm saying that's human nature. And you, as someone playing the game, should take advantage of that. And so if you can make that needle go to the right, you have a much better opportunity because the needle's gonna, it's gonna move throughout the rest of the interview, right? And if it starts to move to the left, like you've already accounted for some of those points. Yeah. Um, I think early on in my time interviewing, I tried to get that needle as far as uh, to the right as I could before we started coding. And then like, <laughs> you can yeah. feel it slowly. You go back <laughs> exactly. the other way. Right. Yeah. You want the needle pegged out as early as possible because it gives yeah. you wiggle room to make up for it. So. Yeah, that's a great point, though. I, I, when I was in recruiting, I used to talk to my, my team a lot about how it, certain professions, recruiting especially, right? Talking to engineers we were always, we were going to start in this recruiter box, right? Like any conversation with any engineer who didn't know us was just going to think, ah, it's just another recruiter, right? And then I was like, your job is to get out of that recruiter box to at least a human box, right? Like now you're a person that's actually having a conversation with them. And then hopefully there's another box where like you're a person having a conversation with them that actually knows what the fuck they're talking about, right? So if you can do that within the first couple minutes of a call, you're going to have someone who's actually going to return your phone calls and actually going to respond to your emails versus like, uh, it's just another recruiter. I'll, I'll talk to them if maybe they prove themselves worthy of, you know, sending me jobs. Right. Yeah. The, the JavaScript is not Java problem. Um, yeah. yeah my, I view like concentric circles. It's like headhunters. I'm not even going to respond to not worth yeah. the time. And it's like recruiter. Well, like, eh, maybe I should like at least email them back. And like, maybe that'll be a useful relationship in the future. And then it's like, oh, I'm actively having a conversation with someone like Taylor and like we're, we're buddies, right? And, or, you know, associates at least. And, and then like you, now you get, you get that preferential option when I decide to tap into yeah. that recruiter ring of like, well, let me talk to Taylor first. And, and you, you know me better and you're going to do a much better job. And like, I view recruiters like you were more like agents for like a work, like the, the, the force than um what the, the headhunter bucket that is just like spray and pray and hope something lands <laughs> yeah I, I had a, a recruiter who ran a team um at a large chris wallach who ran a team at a, a large company i i worked at in chicago um and he, he used to say that he was i think of me as your sports agent right like and he was doing a very specific thing working with ruby on rails highly paid engineers a lot of them coming out of groupon at the time right he's like i'm gonna introduce you to three companies think of them as like other competing teams right mm-hmm. um that you know it's the seahawks i really want to get you on board and they're gonna offer you a lot of money um and i'm just gonna help you make that decision right like that is the right way to do recruiting and uh i don't know it, it feels better and i i bring all this up because in an interview setting you're kind of in that same box right you're not in the recruiter bucket but you're in the generic interviewee bucket right you're just a person oftentimes the person who's interviewing you has a resume right and maybe right. some feedback from somebody else but yep. you know initially you're just trying to break out of that i'm a generic interviewee 
bucket and try to make some type of real connection. And then hopefully, you know, push that further to I'm actually having a real conversation with someone who also has some technical skills that could be useful here. Right. Right. Totally. It's, it's very much, particularly in the earlier stages, like, um, you know, like the, the resume review stage, right. You don't want to just be a resume review. You want to be a referral or, you know, you want to have some sort of like some sort of bonus points because, and I haven't looked up my numbers recently, so I'm going to like make them up, but I think they're probably fairly realistic is, you know, if I get a hundred resumes, I'm probably going to have a phone call with 20 or 30 of them. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe 15 will make it to the text, the text screen, maybe seven to 10 will make it to like the, the grouping of, uh, you know, like value add interviews and cross-functional interviews out the other side, maybe two or three are going to be like given an offer. So out of a yeah. hundred resumes that get sent two are going to make it through. And yeah. you, you got to figure out like, how, how do I really make myself stand out? Yeah. It's not always easy and it takes practice. This is kind of why um, you mentioned earlier, the transparency that I have with Moonrise and I tell like my engineers, um, like go interview other places. Um, and it's because a, like, how do you know how much you're worth unless people are like putting a price tag on you and B, um, interviewing is a skill that it is a skill. And if you don't do it, how are you going to be good at it? And you want to be good at it before you need it. So moonrise could shut down tomorrow. I want all of you to be great energy engineers and go get new jobs, you know, next week. But if you have to take a month to figure out how to interview again, like that hurts you, right? So yeah, I want, I want them all to be good at it, even if they still work for me. Yeah. <laughs> Preferably if they still work for me. <laughs> yeah, that's great. Uh, all right, before we move into the this, uh, take a quick break here, move to the second half. Um, you already kind of shared one, but do you have any other uh, interviewing horror stories maybe people can relate to that you're willing to share? Interviewing horror story. Um, so, I mean, I, I shared the one in which I was the, the interviewer or the interviewee, right? Um, and there were, um, I'm trying to think, I think that was the, it was like four or five interviews that I didn't do very well in one that like I really, really bombed, but that, that one definitely uh, lost me. Um, but I guess a, a, a story from the, the other side of the fence, we talked about making that like personal connection a little bit. Um, and sometimes you can really go overboard. And so uh, there was one time, so I'm the interviewer in, in this uh, position and um, it's me and my, my partner, uh, uh, like a peer, right? Um, we were both like director level. Um, I run like engineering technical people. She runs um, like videographers and like special effects kind of people, right? Uh, this interview, this he was someone brought up from Hollywood and he was just doing like a ton of name dropping of like, oh, I worked with this person and that person. And blah, and he was like really trying to impress us. And I'm, I'm looking at her and I'm like, do you know any, any, like, I'm not getting anything out of this. Do you know who any of these people are? And she's like, nope, no clue. And then he always like addressed me. He never addressed her. Mm-hmm. Despite the fact he's trying to like impress her. But he, I guess he didn't know I was the technical person. Um, and then as we were leaving, he was like, all right, fist bumps, bros. And he's like, that's what y'all do here in Silicon Valley, right? And I was just, I remember her and I, um, we walked straight to her boss and was like, and if you hired, and this person was going to be our boss. And we're like, if you hire this person, we quit. 
and they walked him out. They didn't do any more interviews. They walked him out of the, <laughs> they're like, you're done. So um, don't try too hard. Just be yourself. Like, I understand that you're, it's something you're excited about, right? This is an interview. It's probably like, A, you either need it, right? And it's like, I need a job. Or it's like, I really want to work for this company for these reasons that you have a currently ignorant perspective of because you haven't seen behind the, the veiled curtain. Um, but you just want to be yourself and make sure that it like really is a good fit because it really sucks to like, all right, you get an offer, you join a company and then you're like, oh, this is, I don't like this at all. Yeah. Now, one month later, you're like inter quitting, interviewing all over again, or you're not successful, whatever, like that really sucks. So it, it just un remembering that interviewing is a two-way street and you're both trying to learn things about one another and you should be interviewing them just as much as they are interviewing you. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Well, fist bump, bro, before we, uh, <laughs> before we take our break here, so, so bad. um, good to uh, take a quick break and then we'll come back and move over to the technical portion. Thank you for watching the first half of the professional technical interviewee. The technical interview will be released one week from this episode, so be sure to subscribe to make sure you don't miss it. New episodes are released on the first four Thursdays of each month. Find us on YouTube at youtube.com slash or on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. Make sure you subscribe so you don't miss out on new episodes. And remember, keep practicing.